Well, again, for those of you tuning in, we are back at Radio Entrepreneurs. And as we wind down 2023, it's good to meet some new guests, new friends, and hear about the economy because there's a lot going on with this economy. And there's a lot of deals getting done by the end of the year, I'm sure. Uh, my co-host for this uh, segment is going to be the uh, Evan Macedo, VP Finance and Operations at the firm Sapers & Wallach. Welcome back, Evan. Thank you, Jeffrey. We have done so many shows over the years. Things seem to develop and change year by year. So it's fantastic to have wonderful guests on to kind of give us an outlook of where we are today and where we're going in the future. Well, and I love to talk transactions. And if we're going to talk transactions, thanks for bringing us to Mark Tarallo, uh, partner at Nutter, a uh, firm I used to know very well. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Evan. Good morning, everybody. So what is the state of the union on transactions? We finished the year. What's it look like? What's the new year going to look like? Well, as we've all seen, 2023 was a bit of a slowdown from what we had seen in 21 and 22. A big driver in that was the interest rate environment. Most corporate buyers have cash on hand that they use to do deals, but most of all of the private equity buyers are relying on debt. And when the interest rates went up, it made it harder to price deals in a way that made sense for them. So that contributed to a drop off in the deal volume. We're also seeing a little bit of a disconnect in pricing between buyers and sellers. Um, some of the businesses and the industries uh, maybe in the seller's minds have rebounded from if they took a hit during COVID or post-COVID, but not so much in the buyer's minds. And so we're seeing a little bit of disconnect on pricing as well. And our expectation as we head into 2024 is that the interest rates are going to level out and ideally come down, as we've seen from the Fed recently. That will make capital less expensive for buyers. And I think we'll also start to see some um, meeting of the minds, if you will, on pricing. Sellers probably coming down a little bit, buyers coming up a little bit. And we'll hopefully start, we've seen already a great deal of increased interest. Things like some initial diligence reviews, some indications of interest, but not anything concrete. But that activity is certainly higher than it was, say, six months ago at this time. That's great. And uh, I know, you know, it was I hear from all of my uh, connections out in my networks that, you know, it was, it was pretty easy to get some deals done maybe two or three years ago. Last year, a little bit tougher. Um, and then people are trying to position themselves differently because you can't get access uh, to the buyers like you did uh, in years past. So, in terms of like trying to structure your company um, to be right or fit to do an M&A deal, what are some, what's some advice that you might have for some people to make sure they have the right team or the right things in place so that way they can have the best chances of getting the best offers with the highest multiples coming into 2024? And I'm going to just add one thing to that. I hope it's, it only adds to it. And it's maybe Mark, you'll agree or disagree. I think there's still money, a lot of money out there. And eventually money's got to move. It can't sit still. Yep. You know, I'll, I'll answer that first, Jeff. There's there's more dry powder than there's ever been. Um, there's north of 3.3 .3 trillion 
of undeployed capital sitting in PE funds. That number, it's probably that number, that was a mid-year number. It'll probably be higher by the end of the year. When you factor in leverage, you're talking about a, you know, an awful lot of deal money, seven, eight, nine, ten trillion in deals, and that's sitting on the sidelines. So we do expect that that is going to need to come into play at some point as well and be deployed. To Evan's point, uh, quality always sells, right? Buyers are looking for quality companies. And what do I mean by that? Those are companies that have their financial statements in order. Good, good financial records that have been reviewed and scrubbed as needed. They have complete files for things like employment, for things like ERISA. They're, they do a regular review of their retirement plans, their health plans, make sure they're in compliance, make sure that they're doing everything that they need to do so that a buyer isn't going to come in and do some due diligence and find a potential problem. It's it's good when sellers have, like, for example, if they have key customers, key suppliers, and have contracts with those parties, it's good. Make sure they're in, you know, they're in writing, they're fully executed, all the pages are there. There's nothing worse than getting a call from a buyer's counsel who says, hey, you know, the, the, the last 10 pages of this one key contract aren't there. It's it's it, it hurts on a substantive level and it hurts on a, on a process level because buyers start to get a little concerned about the company they're buying. The best advice I can give for someone who's contemplating a sale is start well in advance. Get an idea of what a buyer is going to look for in due diligence and do some some self-diligence, some self-scouting. Where are the holes? What can we do to fix the holes? Talk to your financial advisors, your, your accountants. Make sure that your numbers will stand up to scrutiny. If, if there are some aggressive accounting positions that have been taken and, and a buyer may not support those, take some time to determine if you need to restate your financial statements. The last thing, you know, what we see now with buyers is that they don't want to buy a headache. Right. They don't want to buy a problem. They don't want to buy a company that six months later they have to explain why things are so bad because either the numbers weren't accurate or there were problems that they should have seen in diligence. So it's like a to, home. They don't want a house that's going to take too much work. Exactly. Exactly. But if you think of it that way, Jeff, if the home inspection is the buyer doing its due diligence, you want to get someone in there before that to check things out as well to make sure that it, it looks generally okay and, and make sure that you've got everything that you need in order. And, and I would say, look, it happens, right? Every, every now and then somebody gets an offer out of the blue and the offer is too good to turn down. There's no next generation who's going to run the business and it's a good time to exit. And that happens. But if you really, if you if you've decided that you want to sell the business, the best thing you can do is start ahead of time, uh, get a, assemble a team of capable advisors who can advise you on all of the different things that you're going to need to do, and that includes some estate planning as well, right? Once you once you go too far down the road on an M and A deal, you lose the ability to use certain planning techniques that could really save you some taxes. So you want to assemble a team ahead of time 
and approach it in a thorough manner. Do some self-diligence, do some cleanup before you get into the sale process. And that will benefit you in the long run. It'll benefit you both in terms of process and it'll benefit in terms of price. I'm going to agree with you. And I'm just going to add, you know, my, I don't say it the way you would because I'm a management consultant. (laughs) What I tell my clients is we're going to build this business as if it's never going to get sold. We're going to build it so that you don't necessarily have to be here. So that if someone does walk in, they need to see a business that says, okay, we're going to buy it from you. And it's going to be turnkey that you've got an executive team. They're committed. They're 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 into this process, and they're just going to continue to use the process that are there. And I think that's really the key. Uh, the key, you're right, is to build an organization that's strong and predictable, and and can continue to be successful. You don't want to buy something that's going to take a rebuild, or that when you lose the seller, that the whole thing's going to fall apart, and you have to start recruiting everybody. So in I work mostly in private businesses. It's very, you know, and they tend to be run by stars. And mm-hmm. we've got to make sure that they, the star system goes more towards an organizational system. Agreed. Agreed. I agree with you completely in that. You so. know, it's like, I mean, it's some very basic blocking and tackling, right? We, you know, the, the non-compete law in Massachusetts has changed significantly over the last few years. And people might have non-competes with their key people that aren't going to be enforceable under the new law, right? It was a non-compete that was signed prior to the change and it's not going to be enforceable. So take a little bit of time, make sure your executive team has the appropriate restrictive covenants in place that a buyer is going to come in and say, hey, these are good, good, strong agreements, not overly broad. They're reasonable. They'll be enforceable. And this is a business we could see ourselves going, you know, going forward with these agreements in place. But that's a perfect example of doing some self-diligence ahead of time. Well, and maybe this is somewhat of a question too. If if non-compete laws are going to become more loose, uh, that becomes, for me, that much more important to look at participation, legal participation within a firm phantom stock, because mm-hmm. those agreements could be binding and people could lose out financially. So take right. give, give them a bigger back-end incentive that they could lose if they leave if you don't have the non-competes. That would work as well, correct? Correct. It, 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 it's nice to have both because you want to both motivate and tie up the executive team. It's and, and we do that pretty frequently, right? We will put in a suite of restrictive covenants, but part of putting in that suite is consideration for that suite is maybe getting participation in a phantom plan or a stock appreciation plan or whatever, however you want to call it, some type of plan that's going to benefit the employee when there's a successful exit. So you tie the two together. It seems a little less onerous, but it also gives the employee some real incentive to maximize what happens in a sale. Well, that's why we have people like Evan. When people find employees like Evan, they try to keep them and lock them in. Uh, Mark, I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, far too long we waited to see each other again. Yep. And uh, if somebody else is looking for you and is a little bit more uh, proactive than I am, how would they find you? So you can you can find me on our website, which is nutter.com. I'm on our website. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, Mark Torallo on LinkedIn. Um, and those are probably the best best places to, to find me. Um, email is mtorallo at nutter.com. And uh, if anyone has any questions or wants to bounce some ideas off, happy to chat. 
do it all the time and uh, don't hesitate. Don't be shy. Great. And super executive, uh, Evan, how would, yes, people find you? how would people find you? Very easily. I would just say go to our website, www.sapers-wallet.com. You can click on the team page, read my bio. Uh, I'd love to talk to you. Focusing a lot on executive benefit plans, retirement plans, employee benefit plans, and business insurances for 2024. So if there's anything on your mind you'd like to have a conversation about, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. That's great. Thank you, Evan. Thanks, Mark. Uh, Good luck at the end of the year. Uh, Season's best to all of you. And I look forward to speaking to both of you in 2024. Just hard to imagine. Unfathomable that we're saying that. Yeah, I was shocked when it was the year 2000. And this is Radio Entrepreneurs.